With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to Bleeding Blue, presented by John Boy Media and uh, Talking Giants. With me is one of my best friends, Nikki Snacks. This is a New York Football Giants history show, history podcast. We're starting something new this week, Snacks, and I'm very excited for it. You get a little bit of a teaser and a taste of what we're going to be talking about from the title of the video title of the show. Snacks, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Really great. Um, my hair looks pretty good. My eyes look blue. Whoa. You have yeah. beautiful eyes. We've always talked about Thank how you, you have beautiful eyes. It's really nice to you to say. Um, yeah, but other than that, I'm doing really good. Check out this this sweatshirt, by the way. Isn't that yeah, cool? Where, where'd, you, where'd you get it? And or- it's a short, it's the Bill Belichick style. Ooh. Really cool. I, uh, I made it myself. Whoa. Wow. 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 Yeah. I wow. typed in, I typed in cutoff hoodie and then I saw customized cutoff hoodie and then I just put G and then men on it. You should sell them to Bleeding Blue and Talking Giants listeners. Oh, you want to? I, I think we, I think we should. I don't think I'd make any money, but yeah, that's a good idea. It's the same thing like Bobby, what Bobby does for like the stickers and stuff. Like that's he doesn't true. make money on that. That's true. But Probably this loses is, money. This is, this is like, I get like a lot of compliments on this. So yeah, no, that's great. Especially Bill. I think a lot of people would appreciate the Bill Belichick and you know what? It's great. I, I'm trying. All right. We're, we're going to get to Giants history. We, yes, we're we going to talk about this one. Bill thing. Belichick is Giants history. So Bill Belichick is Giants history, but I'm trying to become a person that wears a sweatshirt. I'm not doing it right now. I'm trying to become a person that wears a sweatshirt indoors. I'm trying mm-hmm. to adapt that mentality because I think it's fun. It's very cozy, but I get too hot. Um, so I think that's like the perfect, like meet me halfway of sleeves, but sweatshirt with the hood, et cetera. It's the most ideal thing. And, you know, when we can actually go to football games, which we probably won't be able to until never um, like 2040. I reached, I recently dropped this is my, se- this is my September wear. <laughs> that's your September wear. Yeah, it's that's perfect because it's, it's not hot, but it's like a li- maybe a little chilly Breezy. Um, because the Meadowlands is always like 15 degrees colder than wherever you are for the, because of the wind and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this is my go-to. But you want to get into this bitch? Yeah, why don't you why don't you describe kind of what we're moving to, what we're doing? It's a kind of now if you were listening last summer to our show, you know, it was just a podcast at the time, but if you were listening to our show, you know, we were reading a book called If These Walls Could Talk by Ernie Paladino when we kind of went through the chapters and that was honestly my favorite like, you know, show idea set it's segment idea that we had and that we did over the summer reading that book going chapter by chapter and reading some of our favorite stories so what are you what are you going to be doing i was reading that so now you're going to be reading something what are you going to be reading? reading something yes and that was a lot of fun um we like to read especially about giants history so um this book is probably near and dear to a lot of people because it well that's the that's the book right there it's mm. called a team to believe in and it's written by i don't know if you noticed who it's written by uh, Tom Coughlin. So uh, Tom Coughlin was the Giants coach from 2004 to 
what 2015 Mm -hmm. and um after the magical 2007 season he wrote a book about that season and um i i can promise you that all the behind the scenes stuff that we will get to it is well worth your time and if you do love the giants which if you're listening to the show or watching the show um i would assume you are a fan so we will we're going to talk about this book and just some uh, we'll start with the first couple chapters today because it's just it's not that long of a book and we'll get to it all. There's a couple crying moments because I've read the book a few times. Oh, and you're 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 a sobber like you I'm sobbed. a big cry. I was crying last week. You were crying last week when we were talking about how much we how much you love Eli Manning. You you shed a few tears. Right. Exactly. And I love Tom Coughlin. So um, I'm not crying this episode because the first two chapters are not cry worthy. No. Anyway, let's let's you want to get into it. Let's get into it. Let's yeah. get into it. Okay. So I want to start off. We're going to start. I was I was wondering how I'm going to do this. Um, if I want to start later in the book and just really get to like the, you know, the, the fun, juicy stuff of the stories. But obviously that's, you know, that's boring a little bit, I guess. So I want to start at the very beginning and how it leads up into the actual 2007 season. So Coach Coughlin writes, um, the first chapter is really about the 06 season and the playoff loss to Philly. And um, what needs to be done in 2007. Um, so, obviously, the Giants lost to Philly in 2000 in the 2006 uh, wild card game. I think it was 23-20. Yep. On a last second 38-yard field goal by David Akers, a game in which they had come back down 10 um, and made it a game. And uh, that second half of of the game, Coughlin actually talks about it. And here he saw the first signs of of Eli's real growth. Um, he said he saw it in 2005 when he when he had a, a very nice year, but um, that second half of the of the wild card game against Philly, he showed that he really can be the franchise guy and a guy that the Giants um, can win with. But it just obviously I, the the first insert that I, I want to say it's very quick. Just getting to the playoffs was a relief to some in the organization and probably to Giants fans as well. But there is no relief for me talking about himself, Coach Coughlin, because the Giants were 6-2 and two to start that year. And every they were riding high. Everything was going well. And then all of a sudden, four losses in a row. And a few really bad ones. If you remember correctly, they lost to the, the lowly Jaguars. Um, and then the next week, they lost to the Tennessee Titans in brutal fashion. Um, I think we, we were just talking about, they were up 21-24-0. And Matthias Kiwanuka had Vince Young wrapped in his arms for a sack to win the game. And Vince Young scrambles for 20 yards and the Titans pull off to come back and win the game. Um, so that is just where it was. And the whole media and all the fan base was, was wanting to fire Tom Coughlin. So that's why bringing that up to start that just getting to the playoffs was not enough for him, maybe to some, but not to him because of just how the team started, how it finished and everything in between. Um, and the locker room was in disarray. And we, oh talked my gosh. About, we talked about this over the summer and if these walls could talk where Michael Strahan had a famous like peanut butter and jelly rant in front of his thing. That's what it's known as like the PB and J rant, the PB and so J speech yeah. where <laughs> after that, you know, 20, 24 point comeback against the Titans where they allowed the 24 point comeback, there was a bit of beef between Plaxico Burris where Plaxico Burris questioned the effort uh, on the defensive side of the ball, Michael Strahan, you know, being the the vocal leader that he was, and snacks. This is something that's not talked about enough. You know, uh, because Michael Strahan's a Hall of Famer, because he has the most sacks in franchise history, because he finished off his career winning the Super Bowl. Mm. 
you know, we, we view Michael Shane. Oh, he's, he was the perfect leader. He was the perfect guy. He had a lot of things to say. And oh yeah, he got into a ton of altercations, like unnecessary altercations that you can argue hurt the team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like crazy. Yeah. He, he got into fist fights with guy early guess fist fight with guys earlier in his career. Um, like offensive tackles, um, you know, talking back to plaques and that caused a problem. So then what you know, what that speech was, the PB and J speech, he was eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and between his two front teeth, the shit was just spitting out of his mouth <laughs> to this one reporter where he's like, If you're gonna talk to if you're gonna talk to somebody, if you're gonna ask somebody a question, you come to me and you ask that question. See your face when you ask me this question. And the way you're going to ask it, I know you're going to ask it in a way that's just more of a division and more of a negative way than what it was. All right, so come here, I want to see your face. Please, part so I can see your face. If you are a responsible journalist and look me in the eye, ask me this question, please. The way that, that um, well, you want to ask it, come here. Look a man in the eye before you try to kill him or make up something. Look him in the eye. Um, so the locker room itself featured a ton of personalities because he got plaques. You know, who was, you know, I wouldn't say a bad teammate. I call Michael Strand a bad teammate either. But even Tiki Barber, you had a lot of veterans. And yeah, and a Pierce lot of egos. Was, Jeremy, yeah, Jeremy Shockey. Jeremy Shockey. Shockey. Like, these these were a lot of head cases in one locker room. It's a it's a very compatible uh, um, elements to be in. And when you have Michael Strahan, who is the most vocal of them all, and yeah. his voice resonates louder than anybody's in that room and in that organization, essentially – it's going to be some issues. There's going to be some division in that locker room. Right. And a lot of people talk about now, like this past summer, you know, just to compare it, right. A lot of people were talking about this past summer. You know, oh, are these young guys going to really get Joe judge's message of, you know, being a hard nosed coach and discipline and stuff like that. It's always the, you, you feel like it's always the young guys, like a young yeah. team is very receptive to that, but the giants, you know, back then, you know, Shockey was pretty much a vet. Antonio mm-hmm. Pierce was signed as a free agent. Plax was signed as a free agent. Michael Strahan, we all know, was kind of towards the end of his career. So these, they were a, they were a veteran-filled team. Yeah. So these aren't guys that you would typically perceive as guys who would be very receptive of Tom Coughlin's no nonsense. You know, we're we're you know, we're going to talk about firm, fair, honest, and demanding. Firm, fair. Honest and demanding. That's the code I've always operated under. Mm-hmm. Mentality that he had when he came in. Yep, absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned that because we are going to get to something about that um, in just a, a few moments. But um, really just that the, the playoff game that he talks about and how how he saw it through his eyes is, is really is really telling because obviously the coach and the players think they're going to win. Um but he really thought that they were going to win. Even when they were down 20 to 10, he said through all the injuries, through all of the, the, the media and, and through all of the, the, the distractions from players in the media, talking and talking and talking, I went into the fourth quarter thinking we were still going to win this game. And, I, and we were saying it before the show, his mindset is unbelievable to me because after the game, I'm ready here. This is, this is really outside of announcing his retirement early, like a scumbag that he was. This is the Tiki Barber after the game was critical of coaches and post-game interviews. I had never been, I have never been on a team where grievances were aired for all to hear. And it was something I wouldn't stand for. I spoke to Tiki privately about being a part of the solution, reminding him that a football team is a family. And I, I'm sorry, this was after the, the playoff loss in, in Carolina. I apologize. And just goes to show that when he, he takes that. So right off the rip, I don't think they liked each other at all, which I know no. I don't understand because without Tom Coughlin, Tiki Barber is probably still fumbling the football. 
And for him to just air his grievances out in the media is never good to begin with, let alone when you're the star player on the team. It just it show it shows that the young guys and the and the other guys on the team that okay well this is okay I can blast the coach I can blast the, the organization in the media you can't do that I, I, I'm sorry you, you just don't do that so that was the first instance of which Tiki really became a thorn in the Giants' side and it all went downhill obviously he announced that he was retiring at the end of the year in the middle of 2006 and to me shot to shit everything how do you play like that I I don't know how a team goes in prepar- uh, preparing week in and week out, and they're looking at Tiki Barber like, well, this guy's checked out after the year. Yep. So it, it just it puts a stain on it. Um, but I, I wanted to just – I'm not going to talk about Tiki. We're going to talk about him later on this summer. I can't is, get into so, it now. So let's just so, – briefly, is Tiki Barber the most hated player like in your mind and in your fandom who has ever played for the franchise? There is not a close second. I hate, hate, hate 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 tiki barber i hate him and there is a story that we tell once a year once and a year. i'm saving it for the summer because i i i think this show is going to be really fun over the summer when people are getting more excited for football and stuff like that so we're going to share it once a year we'll i'll even try to find the date that we shared it last year and we'll try to share it around the same time yes um oh it, it's you it's... had an interaction with tiki barber's family mm-hmm. so we'll yes, save that not story. him with his family not him yeah, it, it was ugly, and um, it's not something I'm proud of, but it's something that needed to be done. So you I don't should give a be shit. though. I am, of course I'm proud because there's a lot of people who also agree with you. You have you have your spit list. If you ever saw him in person, you would spit on him. Correct. There's a lot of people that are on that list. Tiki Barber, I'm sure, is very close to number number one. one. He is number one. Mm-hmm. Big. So you basically you had an opportunity to get a close second, and s- s- metaphorically spit on somebody's face, and you did. So we're gonna save that story though. We will indeed save that story. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Um, but back to Tommy C, Coach Coughlin. Um, so like I was saying before, this 2006 season was a drag for him and a drag for, I'm sure, his family because that was his third year coaching. And honestly, they made the playoffs two of the first three years, which is pretty impressive for, for a quarterback second and third year. Um but it wasn't enough because he was he was a lot to handle, Coach Coughlin. Like he was kind of a prick in the media. He was a prick to the players. He came in as like this dictator, like no fun, no not no nonsense. Put your socks on right. Show up five minutes. If the meeting's at 12 o'clock, you're you you're here at 1155 or you're late. Like so he was very um authoritative. So that may not resonate well with others. Yeah. And after the 2006 season, I had mentioned that he was so confident that he was coming back when everybody in the media, every newspaper outlet blasting him, every radio host bla- in New York blasting him that Coughlin's got to go, Coughlin's got to go, Coughlin's got to go. You hear that for, for months and months and months. And then when your season ends in disappointment after an eight and eight season and a, and a close wild card loss, you're like, okay, is this, is this it? This might be, I might be out. The players are, the players are talking shit about me in the media and everything like that. So he goes, he goes into it thinking that he is going to be the coach next year, which I still find mind blowing. And, and he goes here's, home. Here's, I have a quick question about that. Shoot, man, this is this is really going to test the memory, and this is bad prep on our end. Do we know when Ernie Acorsi retired? Um, it's mentioned, it's mentioned in here, but it was after, obviously after the 2006 season. Right. I don't know, I don't know the month. 
Um, I wonder, so I wonder when people knew and, you know, include this in the comments, include this in, in the replies. We're doing the live chat right now. Mondays at 6 p.m., by the way, if you're watching this afterwards, Monday, 6 p.m. on YouTube, on the Talking Giants YouTube, we uh, we have a good time. Thanks for everybody that's been tuning in every week. But it all it's so strange how it, to hear how Coughlin was so confident that he was coming back despite there being a GM change. It's not because right. Ernie, of course he got I'm fired. I'm sure he had an idea that Ernie was, was going to retire. So, you know, and typically, you know, the whole, you want to keep the GM and which the giants are not good at, by the way, Mm-mm. you want to <laughs> keep the good GM, Lord. you want to keep the GM and the coach, you know, on the same kind of the same arm length to get on the same arm link together. Um, you know, if the G, if you have a new GM coming in, you kind of want that GM to pick your coach, but also the giants usually don't hire outside the building, which was the case with Jerry Reese, which, you know, for two Super Bowls, I would say it relatively worked out. I, yeah, there's nothing I can say bad. I, well, I could say a lot of bad things about Jerry Reese, but then after that, you have to appreciate what he did and he should right. be in the giants ring of honor. Um, just saying, but so, yeah, so Coughlin's feeling confident and he stayed late at the office one night. He gets home. I, I pulled up to the driveway 9 p.m. on a Monday. Um, my kids, Tim and Katie's cars were in the driveway, and that's not abnormal for them to be there. But this was a little different at 9 o'clock on a Monday night. Uh, I get out of the car, pick up my bag, and walk into the house. Tim, Katie, and Judy. Judy is his wife. Tim and Katie are his kids. Are sitting at the kitchen table, and I can tell from their faces that something is wrong. Dad, Katie says right away, why are you putting up with this? Talking about the media outlash and the the, the players talking out on him. Um, is it worth it, Tim asks? They are dragging your name through the mud. You're getting hammered out there. So obviously this is taking a toll on his family too. And I always, being an NFL coach has got to be one of the most difficult things in the world. I, I, it really has to because you are under an absolute microscope 24-7. You could barely spend any time with your family because yeah. you have to literally watch film 24 seven all the time. And to hear like that Tom's kids are sitting him down and he's a 61 year old man. His kids are probably like in their mid thirties and whatnot. They have kids. They're sitting him down and be like, dad, you don't want to coach anymore. That's fine by us. And, um, Coughlin actually says, he goes, uh, we talk for an hour or two, then Tim and Katie drive away. And for a moment, I feel the strain that they must be feeling at work and in their neighborhoods as Tom Coughlin's children. That is a difficult part of the profession. That's that really is tough. You don't think about the family members when the New York Post is you're on the back page of the New York Post yeah. talking about getting fired and should be fired. And this guy sucks. He can't he can't do it. He can't do it. Like, that's my father. That's not an easy thing to deal with. So I could understand why Coughlin feels a certain way about his job security and, you know, getting hammered in the press and then having to feel like his kids are it's a burden for them, too. So that's a that's a big double double whammy for for coach Coughlin yeah it's one of the few professions where I mean you can obviously you can be an asshole and you can fire back but it's one of the few professions maybe in life and maybe I'm also getting this wrong I feel like a player can easily fire back too and say you know oh, we're, we're doing our best it's a team game blah 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 but no as, as a coach you really can't fire back because you're the leader of the team and you need right. to be calm composed cool collected everything like that so that's a that's a really good point it's so it's so strange how you know maybe you know, Coughlin was so confident that he would be coming back, but also I'm sure there was there was a part of his mind that was saying and that was asking, is it right for me to even come back? Like, yes. Would I want to come back? Exactly. And it's funny because Tom Coughlin might have been the only person on planet Earth that 
was confident he was coming back yeah. for the job. Um, <laughs> I think I think it was evident in the sit down with his kids that they saw the writing on the wall and they almost wanted to drag him out of the office because right. he didn't they didn't want him to keep putting up with it. Yeah. Um, but shortly after he had a meeting with uh, with John Mara and the, the organization, and it turns out they gave him a one year deal. Uh, this was it. The mandate, mm-hmm. he said, so, and, he, and I quote, as I walk out, I am satisfied that they believe I can be the one to turn this around. Though it is unspoken, it is clear it is time to win or else. So Giants usually don't, um, they usually don't give, they don't keep, what do they call it? Lame duck coaches or lame duck GMs. Mm-hmm. Um, so they gave him a one-year extension, but if they didn't win this year, he was he was out the door. Um, so he, he said the first, the, the first thing that Coughlin really said that he needs to change for the 2007 season is, is actually change, change the way he is seen in front of his players and in the media, because he had a lot of wars with the New York press. He was not a very good person to ask questions to and ask follow-up questions to. He was very short. He was very stern and he was very long winded in his opening statement, which I, which I will get to. So giants, Pat Hanlon goes up to him and he says, I think, to kind of get back into some good graces with the media, you should meet with them one-on-one and mm. see what, see what they want from you and what they want from, from your press conferences and go from there. And he, so, so Coughlin meets with, he says eight different writers and the conversations allow me to gain a better understanding of media, their concerns and how they perceive me afterward. I review my notes. Just what, just what do reporters seem to want? And he lists, they want, more access to me and the assistant coaches. They want more patience and understanding for me. They want fewer statistics and more insight. When I answer questions, they want shorter opening statements so they can get in more questions. The beat writers want more time with me on Fridays. They want me to call reporters by their names, which I, that made me laugh. And they want to, they want me to watch my body language and tone. So he was clearly a bear. And I think it was a good first step for him to kind of get in the good graces of the media, because when you're in the good graces of the media in New York, your job is probably a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was very big of him to kind of have those one-on-one sessions and see what the media wants. Yeah. I mean, you, you can, I feel like it's so much, this is so much of a bigger deal in New York than anywhere else. And I really don't think at least right now, now I, it might've been different when it was just newspaper and it was just radio, right? Might have been different when it was just kind of those two things and internet too, you know, just blogs and stuff like that. I'm talking, you know, pre-social media, everyone is on Twitter. Everyone's getting their news through Twitter, Instagram, whatever. I don't know if the New York media was always, you know, like, you know, nasty, so tough. I mean, there's just more, there's more of them, right? There's more New York reporters than there is in, you know, for the Arizona Cardinals, right? There's just more of them. But I I never knew if they were always like nasty and intense. You know, I know that, you know, being on the back cover of the paper and and the post, that's never, that's never any good. At least right now, I I don't really feel like they're like intense and they're mean and they're, and they're. No, it does. It definitely feels like it's more soft now, which is kind of weird to me because there's so many more outlets and so many more like ways to express stuff like that. But, Um, but in New York, nevertheless, and this was my main point in New York, nevertheless, there's, such a value to being a people person right there is i mean and you see you see that with the head coach that we have right now for the giants versus the head coaches the the two head coaches that we had previously you know simply just being a people person even if you're a good coach um now obviously just because you're a good people person doesn't make you a good football coach but i feel like it can go a long way in terms of communicating with your players and that's where that's where i really feel like 
you know, Coughlin identified that one aspect of, you know, how am I communicating with my players? Yeah. You know, we, we firm, fair, honest, and demanding. But the thing that in America's game, which he said, I, I watched the first, my snacks prep was uh, reading like the first three chapters of this. <laughs> so that was a lot of prep. My prep was watching uh, the first 10 minutes of America's game in 2007. And what he said that he needed to add to that slogan, firm, fair, honest, and demanding was caring. He said he needed to add to that, add to that, add that, add to that slogan and not just caring about their development, but also caring about them as, as human people, beings. which yeah. that's being a people person. And I think being a people person to players um, is a very, very important thing. And especially if you, if you want to be the, if you want to have the old school take of all oh, these players need to be coddled and these players need to be cared for, blah, 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 you can have that take, but also, I don't know, just as a human being, I would like to be cared for. Right, exactly. So know that the guy in charge of, of my profession, my boss, is caring yep. about me. It's a very good feeling. That makes you want to play harder. It makes you more attentive and more um, motivated to, to actually put in the time and effort. So that's a great segue because change is what he needed to make after the 2006 season because he knew if he didn't win 2007, it was game over. Um, so an insert here, over the course of four decades, I have coached at three colleges and with five NFL teams, and at three of those stops, I was the head coach. Never once did I question my approach or my process. I knew one way to coach football and deal with my players, and it had worked on both levels. It didn't mean I never took a hard look at myself to improve, but I never sought out a new way to interact with the players. I simply have never believed that a head coach must be friends with his players or tell them how great they are every day to be successful. Rather, my job is to help them be the best they can be and by doing, and, and by doing so win football games. So – Wellington Mar and the Giants hired him in 2004 because that team was undisciplined. They had no leadership, nothing at all. Everything seemed to be dead in the water. So you hire a stern and, you know, a, a tough football guy like Tom Coughlin that's going to take no shit from anybody. And you saw in three years how that wears out on players, that wears out on, on team morale and everything like that. You have to be a human being. Like you were saying, you have to be – caring you have to be respectful you don't have to treat them like they are jv players in high school they are nfl players you could ride them hard you could coach them hard but you also have to show them some kind of compassion or some kind of some kind of care that that shows them that you're you're behind them you you have their back you have their best interest and i think once you show that compassionate side and that caring side you will get that out of those players so I actually laughed at this at this little paragraph. It said there is no denying the age gap between me, me and the men I coach plays a role. There have been many successful coaches in a lot of sports who seem to not have an issue with age difference. Phil Jackson, John Wooden, Tom Landry, and Tom Lasorda. Um, most of our players were born in the 1980s, and my own children are older than many of the men I coach. When I talk about Vince Lombardi, they wonder who who that is. When they play Jay Z, I say, "What is that?" When I bring up FDR. <laughs> They think I'm talking about a highway in New York City. But as obvious as the difference in generations are, the solutions to the problem are not readily apparent. And, and he goes on to say, change is the theme of the 2007 offseason. Um, and the uh, I'm sorry, the director of player development, Charles Way, he put it best to Coach Coughlin. This is where it all stems and all the stories you hear about him being softer. He goes, um, be the guy you are when you're with your children or your grandchildren. Mm. And this is what hit coach call from the hardest. He goes, I am a completely different person with my family and loved ones as I am with my players. 
And if I show them that side, am I going to be vulnerable? Will they take advantage? Will they not buy in? So his whole thing was really to just kind of interlock both um, personalities, so to say. Yeah. There's coach Tom Coughlin, and then there's loving, caring, grandfather, father Tom Coughlin, and mix it and find the perfect mix. Um, so he, and he, and he goes on to say, he has a point. I am very different around my loved ones, particularly the grandchildren, funny, crazy down to earth involved. Obviously I won't be building sandcastles with Eli Manning or playing tag with Michael Strahan, but perhaps I do need to open up to more fully connect with the players. I need to make it obvious that I do care about them and that the caring is sincere. And I think, and this is, we're going to really wrap it up around here because, um, I wanted to bring out the fact that 07 was all about, it all started with Coach Coughlin changing his philosophy and his way of going about it. Um, so he really kind of – he just hammers home how much the change was needed, and he just wanted to have fun. 07, yeah. he wanted it to be fun. And yeah. you hear about the bowling trips, and you hear about everything, and his first team bonding experience was a casino night in Giant Stadium. All the players there, they had they had drinks and, and food and wings. Were and they, they gambling? They had play money. Fake oh. money, they saw, and there had, actually, there had to be, there had to be some. Of course, there under was. the table. Of course, there was. Tom Coughlin said he lost. Coach Coughlin said he lost all of his play money within the first few minutes. That's how bad he was at it. Um, but he said he got to know everybody better. He was connecting with guys like Osu Manure, talking about everything but football. So really connecting with his players on a personal level and showing his caring side. Um, it started in that off season, and that's what propelled the 2007 season. So. Um, we're 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 through that part love and it i it was it, it's a lot but i i thought it was good to start with how the 2000 seasons 2007 season came to fruition and how it all started and it really all did start with coach coughlin understanding what he had to do and making the necessary adjustments to do so so coach good for you and i can't wait to talk about the next two chapters next week yeah I have it up. I have it up in in, in front of me right here. This will be like our kind of like wrapping up point. Um, he started to be. Uh, he started as the Jacksonville Jaguars head coach in 1995. Mm -hmm. They were a new franchise. Yeah, brand new, brand new franchise. And within two years, he, they're 11 and five. They're 11 and five in 97. They're 11 and five in 98. Then 1999, they're 14 and two, and Crazy. they make it to the AFC Championship game. You know, man, they coach. Then they take a downward spiral spiral from there. But still, I mean, you know, Tom Coughlin is looking at himself, you know, post 2000, post 2002. I mean, he doesn't coach for a year, but still, when you take the jump to be the, you know, the head coach of the New York football giants, you know, uh, the, in terms of, you know, changing your personality, that's not something that's on the top of your priority list. You're like, no. I just took a new franchise and within one, two years, we were playoff. We, we made the playoffs. And then in another two years after that, we were in the AFC championship game. Right. Like, so you're, so he's sitting there saying, and he, as he should saying, I was able to do the, all of this success with a, a, an infant franchise, just, right. just built from, from the, you know, from the bottom up. And I took them to this height all with the coaching style that I've had for the last 30 years. And so now I'm joining the Giants. Now? And now right. I'm joining the Giants. The New York you know. Giants, my dream job. And yeah. all of a sudden, after three years, if I don't change my ways, I'm out. And yeah. we're fucked. That was my first F word of the night, by the way. Wow. Mm -hmm. Good fool. That's because you're in the – you're 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 you were kind of like the main host this episode. Was, you had like the yeah. – 
the moderator type of flow to you how, how did yeah. it feel it felt good right it, it felt very good um once we got like five minutes into it i was like okay we're only going to talk about this first chapter because yeah there is a, there is a lot to it and the next two chapters can be clunked together so in my head i'm thinking you know what let's just let's kind of extend this a little bit longer than i wanted to with chapter one because i really found it so interesting all the intricacies of tom coffin's mm -hmm. thought process and how he dealt with his family and the the burden on his family and and everything going through their minds and his mind um so that's why i wanted to really extend that a bit but it was fun it was a lot of fun it's a book that i'm a very slow reader like i'll read the newspaper every morning it takes me, me too takes me an hour and I, I, yep. I read slow but this this book you breeze through because you you love it this is this is it this was the greatest season as a fan ever and getting to hear from the coach firsthand is a breeze so i hope yeah Whoever you, whoever's listening that hasn't read the book is going to enjoy our follow through with it. What uh, what Will Ferrell movie does he say everybody love everybody? Uh, semi pro. Hey, I got a ring up here too. Mine says love. Think about that. Everybody love everybody. Come on. Jackie Moon. Semi pro. That's the theme of the episode. Everybody love everybody. I got a ring. You know what it says? It says ELE. What's it stand for? Clarence? Everybody love everybody. That's right. Everybody love everybody. Sorry. I was Jackie Moon for Halloween in 2012. It's a good way to wrap it up. Yeah. I'd say so. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Thanks for watching. Thanks for commenting. You peasants. I'm just kidding. You're all great people. We love you all. We do. Thank you for Bleeding Blue. We will see you next week. Keep on Bleeding Blue. Until then, peace.